Planet Worker, a world in development. Akobo, 2014. A chopper up north flies along the Nile and we are able to keep track of landmarks as we go. It is an old Russian Mi-8 flown by two Ukrainian pilots with a wry sense of humour. As we took off they gave us a cursory safety briefing and with a smile advised us to jump if the helicopter had any trouble in the air. Because with any luck you'll hit a tree and survive, which you definitely won't in this lump of metal. They are part of one of the world's largest domestic humanitarian air operations operated by the UN World Food Programme in South Sudan. A veritable fleet of ex-Soviet and Eastern Bloc planes and helicopters. Bush pilots like these fly along extraordinary takeoff and landing paths, wary of ground fire from a variety of protagonists across multiple conflict front lines. Airdrops of bulk food and water using massive antelopes are another spectacular show put on by this unusual airline. We're on our way to Okoba in the northeastern part of South Sudan near the international border with Ethiopia. It's in opposition-held territory in Zhongle State. Understandably, there's a lot of tension with the authorities in Juba and we're moving cash, lots of it. There aren't any banks in most of South Sudan's isolated towns and it's a cash economy. Money is mostly transferred in plastic wrapped wads of banknotes carried by NGO personnel like myself. My colleague and I have two large backpacks full of banknotes and are trying hard not to be conspicuous as we wind our way through Juba Airport. It doesn't work, and by the time we board, our wad is lighter by thousands of Sudanese pounds. Despite getting central bank approval and preliminary approval from the Ministry of Security, my colleague and I are picked up and detained by two national security personnel on the airport tarmac and intimidated into handing over the equivalent of 800 US dollars to be let free. This form of semi-official extortion has become a lucrative income stream for the country's new street rulers, the police and military. I'm a little shook up as we narrowly make the flight, having escaped threats of detention and confiscation of the cash, which is desperately needed for our operations in Okobo. 45 minutes later, we transit via a fortified airport in Bor for refueling, where we are again subjected to some national security intimidation. This time, a distraction saves us, as a young NGO worker has taken pictures of the airport and is marched off by doer-looking guards. He returns flustered and breathless, having had to buy his way out with $100. I shake my head at his naivety along with my wise and security advisor colleague, but I'm secretly thankful for him for distracting the military thugs from us. I pat the wad of notes in my bag to reassure myself as we take off again. You see things differently from the air. A long winding river, one long dirt road. The latter impassable in the rainy season due to mud and barely passable in the dry due to risk. You wouldn't want to try anyway given the security situation in South Sudan. Any trouble on this road could be your last.
We fly over isolated hamlets of small huts called tukuls, and I don't see any sign of life, nor of crop cultivation. Perhaps they're hiding from the UN chopper. As we approach Okobo, an opposition-held town of close to half a million people in eastern Zhongle state, we can see into Ethiopia across the border river Pibor, itself a restless country, but at least not yet at war with itself. Okobo has become a gateway for displaced South Sudanese seeking refuge and safety from conflict in UN camps around Gambela town, just across the Ethiopian border. We land safely on the short grassy airstrip in Okobo and dutifully proceed to town via the county commissioner's office, where we're politely but firmly reminded that while we are welcome to operate in the area, we do so at courtesy of the opposition authority. I do the necessary bureaucratic groveling and we head off to our colleagues at a food distribution point. The scene is calm as women, most with young children, wait patiently to receive their monthly ration. I marvel as they hoist large bags of Ukrainian sorghum on their heads and walk dignified off to their homes. The malnutrition in these areas is depressingly high and food is a necessary and literally a life-saving resource. Payment of staff is a fraught affair. Given the difficulties of getting people and cash to this area, our staff have not been paid for two months and are un in understandably venomous mood, looking for any reason take to take out their anger on us. Many of the staff are themselves displaced and have families in Uganda and Ethiopian camps, and money is desperately needed. With efficient haste, we hand out bonuses together with salaries to soothe their grievance and the tension subsides somewhat. I even get a few smiles in response to my cajoling and my daggy jokes. We walk the town which is desperately poor. Curious children test their English on us, but not one asks for anything besides a hello and a smile despite their obvious poverty. We wander through a busy market stocked mostly by Ethiopian and Eritrean traders and settle for a bite to eat and a beer at a tin shack tended by its pretty Ethiopian proprietor. The talk is of politics, which surprises me, given where we are, but opinions are not freely given and in guarded language. It's clear these conversations are in code, and I'm left a little confused at some of the statements, but the sentiment is clear. Be careful. This is a savage and enduring conflict and eyes and ears are everywhere. There's an early curfew in these parts and we decamp to the compound. We're bunking with a large NGO that has space to accommodate us and the few internationals seem pleased to have a couple of newcomers to talk to. Talk meanders between the comforts of Juba and anticipation of rest and recreation. Suddenly, we're alerted to the presence of a black snake. It's deadly. Everyone is immediately on edge and the snake is killed with a barrage of rocks and beaten with sticks. I'm told the snake probably came from the holes in my temporary tukul and I'm on edge until I drift off to sleep hours later to the sound of hyenas outside the fence. Risk is never far away out here 
and after a cold shower in the morning, we see a scorpion at breakfast, furtively trying to escape, and I hardly need an extra cup of coffee to wake up. We tour the offices of our peers and make plans for the anticipated escalation in conflict and the extra pressures this will bring. Emergency food programming is a key part of our programs to avert stunting, or worse, starvation in children and families in this district. It is an enormous undertaking given the logistical challenges and the scale of need. When weather and war make supply chains impossible, food needs to be barged up the river or dropped by air, which requires cooperation and protection by local opposition and community authorities to ensure it isn't stolen or spoiled. Delicate negotiation and some compromise are needed to secure these assurances. On our final morning, we're running late as we head to the airstrip to await the incoming chopper. This could be a big mistake, as rides are in short supply and flights infrequent and unreliable, and no one stands on ceremony if they can get a seat. We're hoping this one will arrive. They often don't. At the airstrip, we're obliged to have our bags searched and verified in a makeshift office as a necessity to board the flight. As we leave the office, a surreal, typically African scene unfolds as a huge swarm of bees approaches and enters the office, and the young bag searcher and other passengers run for all they're worth to the safety of the airfield. We watch the bees path warily and resist the instinct to swat at a few buzzing around us. Luckily, no one is stung and the business of baggage check resumes. The helicopter is two hours late and although relieved, I'm tired of the sullen stares of the drunken soldiers and the unrelenting heat of the day. Ducking under the whirring rotors, I finally clamber on board in relief and my mood lifts as the pilot confirms we will be flying direct to Juba. No detours. There are only four of us in the helicopter and everyone agrees we can leave the windows open and it's a breezy, albeit noisy, flight. I scan the ground below once more for any life and don't see much again. But I know the trouble is brewing below. Both camps have spent the rainy season arming up and everyone anticipates the conflict to explode again any minute. We make it through without incident and the landing at Juba is thankfully uneventful and I'm soon back at the hotel relaxing on the roof terrace of my compound. I breathe easier. Mission accomplished. I gaze at the skyline speckled with twirling birds. At least up here you only have to be careful of the snakes with two legs.